Twitter handle, at Religion of Woke. Do you want to help disadvantaged kids lead successful lives? Or do you want to believe false things and die thinking you're a good person? Well, unfortunately, you can't have both. So I've been listening to a couple things about genetics lately. Um, Charles Murray was on the Gad Sad podcast. And there's this woman, what's her name? Catherine Page Harden, uh, who's been going around and talking to... She's like, everyone, every, everyone that I follow is a podcast. She's gone around and done an interview, or been interviewed by them. Now, Charles Murray is considered, like, a giant racist. I mean, it's never been proven, but uh, he says stuff you're not allowed to say. His, la- his la- latest book was, like, uh, Two Facts About Race, and it was, like, I don't know what. I don't know if he said IQ or not. It's like, education and crime, something like that. But he's definitely on the right, uh, you know, what he wants, whatever. No matter what his findings are, the answer is always the same thing. It's smaller government, and the government should get out of people's lives, and blah, blah. But then this Catherine Page Harden lady, she's, I mean, she's definitely not saying the same stuff that he's saying. I think she, like Charles Murray was on Sam Harris's podcast and then, like, she and a couple other, I think she's a professor at the University of Texas, Austin. And apparently they're into, they're big into their, whatever. It's a very good school, and they're into genetics, genetic psychology or something. But anyways, she and her buddies wrote, like, a letter to say that Sam Harris was a, I don't know if they're, you know, I mean, obviously they did not use the word Nazi, but, uh, Whatever, they were, they wrote a letter that was pretty harshly critical of him having Charles Murray on their podcast, and then those guys not, whatever, just saying whatever it was that popped into their heads, you know, like a normal conversation, but on a subject you're not allowed to talk about. And and then she went on uh, Sam Harris's podcast, where he's like, you attacked me, you called me a Nazi, uh, you know, I, whatever, and then all of Twitter was attacking me, and they said... Whatever, they, they used your letter as scientific backup for their accusations. And I believe he thinks that she didn't really, whatever, that the letter either wasn't scientific or, I don't know, he was very aggrieved. He get, Sam Harris gets very butthurt about stuff. I mean, whatever, I think, justification or no, he shouldn't get as butthurt as he is. When I hear him being butthurt... Uh, it annoys me. I don't like it. I'm not listening to him a ton, but... But so anyways, so this Catherine Page Harden is making the rounds, and that's because she has a book out. I've been kind of thinking about how, like, authors go around and support their books. Like the, uh... There's, like, an Indian lady who was the CEO of Pepsi, and she wrote a book. I think it's her biography or something, and... She's been going around, you know, she's been go- she's been making the rounds, giving interviews in support of her book. Now this lady, I think like the la- you know, last year or whatever, so- some year, at least one year, one of her years as a Pepsi CEO, she made over 30 million dollars. So I don't think she's like, "Oh, you know, you know, how much does a good book make? A popular book. I mean, 1 million? I mean, I think that would be wildly 
Like, you got a hell of a book if you make a million dollars off that book. And, you know, you got, you know, like Obama's memoir or something. You know, if that made him $5 million, you know, it'd be like the number one book of the decade. So, anyways, but this this lady is like, $5 million is nothing to her. So, I think people support their books. It's because they want people to read them. Like, you know, she wrote a book. What's the point in writing a book if no one reads it? So, it doesn't matter how rich you are. We want people to read your book. So... So Catherine Page Harden, she goes by Page. Maybe I'll call her Page. I don't know. Like I know her. She's kind of hot, too. I mean, she's whatever. She's kind of hot. For a professor, she's smoking hot. But she is kind of the, op- well, I don't know, opposite of Charles Murray? Maybe. And what it is is that she's on the left. Like, she's super social justice and... Um, I haven't heard her answer the exact question, like, do you support the Black Lives Matter movement? But she either supports the Black Lives Matter movement, or if she knows too much about it like me, she would say she wants to do everything within her power to help black people. You know, poor black people. And in general, just, you know, everything she says, you can just tell. She wants to help people who are not doing good. She wants to help, basically, oh... I think her book is called, it's something, some The Genetic Lottery. So the idea is that life is not fair. And if you think life is not fair only because you don't have rich parents or something, actually life is much, much, much less fair than that. It's really not fair. Because if you got bad parents or no parents or whatever, and you got genetics that don't, are not going to lead to a successful life, or going to make it very difficult to have a successful life. I mean, that just ain't fair. And, you know, everyone... It's just built into the humans um, to care about children. You know, like you care about babies, right? You know, why do babies look so cute? they got those big eyes and the big head and the little bodies. And everyone thinks that's coochie-coochie-coo cute. Um, that's because evolution has made every human being think that babies are cute. And it also, that you know, that spills over into like, you know, why are puppies and kittens and baby animals cute? Because we are hardwired to think that big eyes, big heads, small bodies, cute as hell. And I agree, it is cute as hell. In fact, I'd like a genetically engineered dog that looks like a puppy forever. Alright, so let's get a little, a little bit of information in this podcast before me just BSing. Or... Anyway, so... Gad Sad, I don't know if he's Gad Sad or God Sod, or God Sad or Gad Sod, anyways, he's got a name, I listen to him quite a bit, uh, he's a podcaster, he's a professor, still can't figure out his name, I think when people go on his show, they don't know either, so, you know, I, whatever, you can't trust it when you hear it, he's a crazy Lebanese Jew who, like, grew up in Lebanon as a child, I've mentioned him before, as a child during the Lebanese War, I guess there were some Jews, like, you know, Lebanon had Jews, Christians, and Muslims all living together, and Beirut was the Paris of the Middle East. Like, you know, that was the best, until it all went to total crap in the Civil War, they were the, they were the best. They were the best that the Civil, sorry, Civil War, the, the Middle East had to offer. And, like, him and his family got chased out of there by... I think murderous Muslims, but, you know, the Christians maybe were killing the Muslims, and the Muslims were killing the Jews, and I think the Jews are like, 
we're the smart ones out of this and we're getting the hell out of there. So him and his family moved to Canada when he was a little kid. But he told a story about his nine-year-old son, as he's nine-year-old now, and some school project makes him, you know, told the kid to write down, keep a diary and write down, I don't know what, diary stuff oh, about school. It's like, oh, I love this teacher, or that teacher made me mad. But anyways, his dad, Gadsad, Gad, Gadsad, I'm just going to say Gadsad. Anyways, because it's a little weird to say God as a first name. But so his dad, Gad Sad, was like, uh, hey, instead of just writing down what, you know, your impressions of the day's thing in class, why don't we give you some ideas to wrestle with? And you can, you can either choose, you know, the affirmative or the negative. You can write whatever you want. And so today's question is, is it ever okay to lie? And so the kid, uh, you know, he took that question. He wrote a little essay full of, you know, nine-year-old spelling errors and whatnot. And he took a consequentialist uh, view of it, whether or not it's ever okay to lie, which is that, you know, would you lie to save your family? And so he said, yes. If, you know, if, you're, if you are uh, helping, hum helping human beings or whatever, if you're doing something good by lying, then it's okay, which that's a consequentialist uh, philosophy thing. Like, the consequences are what matter. You know, you lied. Well, was that good or bad? Well, you don't know until you hear what the consequences of that lie is. And I forget what the name of the other school of philosophy is, but it says, uh, lying is never okay. So, anyways, the kid did not choose that one. Deontological, or... That's not, that's not the word, but there you go. There's another philosophy word. Look it up. Deontological. I don't even know what that means. So, Gad Sad tells this story to Charles Murray to kind of, this is the beginning of the interview. And he's like, you know, so here, you know, here, here we are, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a professor who had this crazy upbringing of running away from Muslim murderers when I was a kid. And my wife is a, has a PhD in mathematics. And, you know, the daily activities for my nine-year-old son are you know, dealing with the ontological blah, blah of whether it's okay to lie. And so he says to Charles Murray, like, does this matter? Does this, is this going to affect the outcomes for my son? And Charles Murray's like, you know, you, you got to put in the caveats. He's like, you know, I got four kids and, you know, I love my kids more than anything. And, you know, every day I try and be a good parent and, you know, show them love and help them grow. You know, he does that for a while, and you're waiting for the but. And he's like, but, I've looked at all the data on this, you know, all the studies on this subject, and the answer is, it don't matter. I mean, it matters a very small amount. Like, the fact that this kid's mom has a PhD in mathematics, that's very important. Not because she treats the kid any different, but because she has the genetics that allow a woman to get a PhD in mathematics. And, you know, same thing for the dad. So basically, whatever. You could just let your kid go out and play in the mud. They don't say, they, this is, okay, now I'm talking. But basically, I believe the research is you can let your kid go out and play in the mud. And as long as they don't get hookworm, you're going to get the same result as if you make them sit down every day and, uh, you know, study philosophy. 
on very important things like, you know, years of education and IQ and likely likelihood to go to prison, etc. Like there's a very I mentioned this before. But there's a very famous study where they were trying to figure out whether or not reading makes your kids smarter. And so they did a study and the answer was having books in the house makes your kids smarter. But you don't have to read the books to the kid. You know, just if you know, if you got a if you got a house that's absolutely full of books, it means the parent is smart and has smart genetics. And it doesn't matter if you read to the kid or not. The important part was smart genetics. Like basically, you can just count the number of books in a house, and you're like, you got a, you're starting to have a damn good idea of how smart the kid's going to be when they grow up, or you know, take the SAT. And so Gad said he's he's got a clever wit. And he's like, just in my office, I got over 400 books, so my kids are going to grow up to be Einsteins. So that's, uh, whatever, kind of what Charles Murray is saying. Uh, a lot of people think that, whatever. They, they, you know, basically, a lot of people think that just, that's impossible. There's no way that that can be true. They don't have data to prove that it ain't true. I think all the data supports that it is true, but... You know, you just have a moral feeling. You, you know, you, you morally know that, that that's impossible. It's impossible that all those things is reality. But so now, uh, Paige Harden, she's talking about kind of the same stuff. I mean, she does not frame it the same at all. I, I imagine she doesn't mention race one bit. Uh, but she's talking about the same, you know, similar stuff, like twin studies. You can... You know, how similar are twins compared to, um, you know, just normal siblings? And the answer is they're very, very similar because they got the same genetics. And, you know, adoption studies where, you know, if you take, uh, you know, if a kid gets adopted, here we go. If you got, if you got, if the parents are dumb and the kid goes to a smart, rich household, what do you get? The answer is a dumb kid. And if the parents if the parents are smart and the kid goes to a dumb poor household, what happens to the kid? Well, it turns out the kid is smart. I can't seem to stop supporting the Charles Murray stuff. I want to get to Paige Harden here. Well, so basically she's studying this stuff, you know, she's at the University of Texas at Austin. She's it's highfalutin, you know, probably the best university in the world for studying this stuff. Because they do it, as opposed to ignoring it. But a lot of people just think this should not be studied. Like, you know, I think you know, I think they would say, "Oh, it's all about the parents. It's not genetics." And then you say, "Well, is that okay? Okay, you you are certain it's all about parenting. It's nothing to do with genetics. You know, it's all about uh, America being a terrible place. It's nothing to do with genetics." Does that mean we can study this all we want? And you know, and, and you know that we'll find the result is that it's all parents in America? And they're like, no. I mean, I know what the answer is, but no. That does not mean you can go study it all you want. <laughs> in fact, stop studying it right now. We know the answer. I told you the answer. And I might punch you in the nose. That's a page hard. And her, uh, her answer to all that is... We've been trying stuff, I guess, oh yeah, okay, we've been trying a lot of stuff, like what we want to do is have schools that take kids, all kids, every kid that comes into these schools, 
you take those kids and you make them, uh, you know, good students who have good life outcomes. Like, that's the point of the schools. And then, she, you know, she busts out a stat here, which is that... Except for a few little things that have been tried. Like, you know, you know, for... She doesn't say this, but for many decades, we've been trying various things. You know, Head Start, uh, No Child Left Behind. We've been trying a lot of different things to... Take kids who are, I guess, behind at the beginning, you know, we're trying to catch them younger and younger, catch them when they're four, catch them when they're three, maybe, and, you know, catch them early and then make a good outcome. And the answer is, is that almost all programs designed to do that have no positive effect. And she didn't mention, she says there are some, there are, there are some that have a positive effect. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah i kind of forgotten. I was going to say, she says there's some that have a positive effect, but then she doesn't mention them. But actually, she does. So most policy interventions don't work, but uh, some of them do work. And then, I mean, you know, this is just another punch in the gut. It's punching my gut, even. But she brings up Sesame Street. Like, for instance, does Sesame Street have any effect? And the answer is, it helps upper middle class to rich kids it doesn't have any effect on the you know the poor kids who are likely to have poor uh, life outcomes it doesn't help them at all but if you know if you're basically if you're headed for good life outcomes already watching sesame street will increase your vocabulary and it's gonna be wonderful and so what she's saying you know as a person who wants social justice for humanity, which I agree, I do too, I think everyone, everyone pretty much would say they want social justice, you know, they want, whatever, everyone wants good stuff for people, especially kids, and so her point is that, at this point, we know that basically everything we've been doing doesn't work, and so if there's more information that can be thrown into the analysis to figure out, you know, to find the things that will work to help people, then we should do that. You know, it's like, don't just say, oh, in the past, Nazis used genetic whatever for evil reasons. You say, well, that doesn't matter because, you know, now we're in the present and we're heading towards the future and we should use genetic information to create, you know, to do good stuff. So I was kind of saying something similar uh, to a friend who's a teacher. For some reason, I know a lot of teachers. But I heard about this study, yeah, polygenic. Maybe I'll bring up polygenic here. But, like, there's no gene, there's no single gene that makes you smart or dumb or tall or short or whatever. It takes a bunch of genes. You know, you got millions or, I don't know, yeah, I think you got tens of millions of genes. And it takes more than one to do anything. But in any case, so what they have is a polygenic score. Like, you know, there's no gay gene, but you'll have a polygenic score on whether or not you're likely to be gay. And, you know, it'll be like, okay, you take these thousand genes, and if you got, I mean, you know, this is not how the math works. But like, you know, if you got 99% of them going this direction, well, you're probably 99% to be gay. And if you got you know, 1% of them go in that direction, well, then you got 1% chance of being gay. That's not how the math works, but you get the idea. 
I believe in Britain, they did like a polygenic score for, it was like the British version of the SAT, some sort of a test, like a test, you know, towards the end of high school and before college. And they just looked at white kids. I think, you know, if you bring race into it, things get, whatever, people start getting angry real quick. So they just did it to white kids. And I don't remember what the, you know, how predictive the polygenic score was, but like it was, it wasn't bad. Like this, you know, like this score could tell you, uh, the polygenic score could tell you what the kids were going to score on their uh, SAT likes test. And so here, here's the thing that I was telling my buddy, because like he, well anyways, he doesn't have, he's not the advanced placement English teacher. He's got, he's got kids who are not all, you know, the very, very best kids, just like a lot of teachers. And so here's how I imagine this, whatever, allowing this research to go forward and how it could be used to help every single kid is basically you you test the kid and you're like okay this kid this kid's this is this is a b this is a b you know let's say a b minus if you get that you know this is a kid who's likely to get b minuses and i should say like currently we really have no idea if a teacher is good or bad i mean if you suck up to the principal the principal might say you're a good teacher but that doesn't mean you're teaching the kids good or bad Etc. It's very difficult to tell if a teacher is good or not. That was my buddy's complaint. Like he has, he has problem kids. So he teaches a whole class of problem kids, and then in his district, they were they're they're bringing in some metrics to say, uh, you know, if you don't get all your kids to read at grade level or do math at grade level or whatever, then you're a bad teacher. And he's like, you know, a lot of my kids are disabled. They're never gonna read or do math at grade level and so he was afraid i think whatever i think he got exempted but anyways he's afraid he's like that's not fair that's not that's not a thing that i can achieve in my class and i know he's a great teacher like he's a he is a great teacher he just puts in so much effort and love and he's a real smart guy he's just talented his parents probably had a lot of books but anyways the point i'm getting at is that if they can you know take a swab of your saliva and say, okay, this is a B minus kid. Well then, you know, if you're a teacher who gets that kid to a B plus, well then you're a good teacher. You know, if you take a B minus kid and get him to a B plus, you're a good teacher or, you know, heaven forbid a A. And if, you know, if, if your kid is a B minus kid and uh, your teaching gets them to come out with a D or an F, you're probably not a good teacher. So I think right now they're like, okay, every kid in your class has to get a C or a B or something, or the average has to be a C or a B. It's just very inefficient. Like, you know, if you have a school, dis school district where, you know, you, you, you use this information and you choose teachers based on this information and you, you can take like, you know, F students, and make them into C students or whatever, like, you know, that's phenomenal. Like, right now, they're like, oh, you're only, you're only creating C students. Uh, you're fired. You know, you're, the person in charge of this whole school district is fired, and we need to dissolve this whole school district because, you know, their best students are only getting Cs. 
But if you're taking F students and making them get C's, you're actually phenomenal. Anyway, so that's whatever. All of that was just me talking about it. But I think that's a, whatever, ruthless uh, way of describing what uh, Paige Harden is saying, which is that, you know, do you want to help people or do you want a virtue signal? And I think the answer currently is uh, people want a virtue signal. You know, no amount of dumb genetic kids thrown on the fire of life and burned to a crisp is enough to make people change their minds and say, okay, let's actually look at reality and help every kid we can. All right, another interesting thing about using genetics to study human beings with the hope of making human beings happier and better is that genetics allows, it's, it's, like, it's like a time machine. It allows you to go back in time in a certain sense. So say there's someone who's 60 years old today and there was some sort of intervention. You know, they were given, wouldn't be Head Start, but what, or whatever. Whatever the equivalent of Head Start was, you know, 56 years ago, you can now compare the result of their lives from when they were four years old, 56 years ago, to today, and then compare it to their genetics. So it almost like it lets you like go back in time and like, oh, they tried this thing in this one city this one time 50 years ago. Well, you can use that information now. You can, you know, you might be able to really use that information for something as opposed to redoing that whole thing that they did 50 years ago in some city today and it costing you know millions and millions of dollars the other thing that you can do with genetics that really can't be done with anything else is you can do a completely random completely randomized controlled study you know which is the holy grail of stuff based on their parents because that's how dna works basically i think uh whatever, sperm, the egg, they come together, and then randomly it just selects dad or mom's gene. And so every gene, you know, controlling for the parents, like you're obviously, you know, if your parents got tall genes, if your mom and your dad both have tall genes, well, they're only going to be able to randomly select between various tall genes. But long story short, if you know what the parents are like, it's completely random, which is what you want for a study. Like, you don't, you know, it, it, it solves a lot of the problems with most studies. Because you're like, oh, this kid turned out real smart. And then you're like, well, was it because of the neighborhood? Was it because of the friends that they hung out with? It was it because of the parents? Was it because of the economy and the years that they were in high school, etc.? And it's very difficult to figure out which of those things caused what because it's just not randomized and it's not you know it's not uh it's not ethical like okay i'm just gonna grab a hundred kids and i'm gonna throw a hundred of them into a poor poor neighborhood and i'm gonna throw a hundred of them into a rich neighborhood and then we'll see what happens well you can't you can't just throw people around and see what happens basically that's what you would need to do to find the most efficient way to figure out uh what causes what is to just say, I don't care about ethics, and just grab people and be like, okay, I'm going to, you know, I mean, to put it super bluntly, like, 
I'm going to molest half of these girls, and I'm going to not molest the other half of these girls, and then we'll see what molestation does. I feel bad for even saying that. But basically, genetics allows you to uh, kind of run tests on humans without doing bad stuff to them.